and all of God's people together said, amen, amen. I just want to remind you, uh, you have your sermon notes in your bulletin. And also, uh, along with the sermon notes, we have uh, two pages of going deeper questions. And these questions are for your personal study and also for grow group studies. And it helps you to take a look at the text uh, that uh, I preached on and uh, then have discussions around that. Uh, you'll also notice that we've divided up First uh, Peter in pretty large sections, so it's not possible to preach on each one of those. So I will usually take a portion of the text for the week and preach from that, just like Brandon did last week. And then um, uh, the rest of the text will be looked at at your grow groups and in your personal devotional study. So just want to encourage you, if you're not part of a grow group, you can still get connected to one. We're just getting beginning and uh, you can look in your bulletin or email the church and we'll make sure that we find you a grow group that's close to where you live on the night that works for you. So uh, it's very encouraging uh, what God is doing in our study these days. Well, a little over 100 years ago, exactly uh, April 15th, uh, 1912, as most of you know, uh, the Titanic went down in the icy, frigid waters of the North Atlantic. 1,502 people perished. Subsequent inv- investigations found that there was one theme running through, whether people were below deck or on the top decks. They were running around frantically looking for help. And one question that was asked over and over again, in fact, it wasn't asked, it was screamed. Um, Who's in charge here? Who's in charge? (laughs) The captain was trying to do his thing. Everybody didn't know what was going on. And the unsinkable ship, the irrepressible Titanic, uh, sunk. And as I said, 1,502 souls perished. Who's in charge? We all like to know who's in charge. Now, on November 6th, in just a couple of weeks, Uh, We're going to the polls and we're going to vote. And uh, based on our vote, we're going to declare as far as our nation is concerned, who's in charge for the next four years. And we ask the same question in our regular, normal, everyday lives. Who's in charge at home? And the kids usually want to ask that question and parents usually have a good, strong answer for that. Uh, Who's in charge at work? Who's in charge at school? Who's in charge in on the athletic teams we're a part of, who's in charge? And we're always asking that question and wanting the answer. Uh, when we first moved here, Sherry uh, uh, worked full time as a nanny. And as she did, uh, she uh, worked at this with this family up in Paradise Valley and a wonderful family. And I had two little girls and uh, the oldest was named Rachel. And when this incident happened uh, with Sherry, the, the nanny, she she was six years old. So um, Rachel did something to her little sister that was uh, inappropriate. And so Sherry put her in timeout and she said, Rachel, I want you to sit in this chair and I want you to think about what you did to your sister. And then when you're done sitting in this chair in this timeout, then I want you to apologize. Rachel looked up at Sherry. Now she's six years old, right? And she looked up at Sherry. She said, I'm going to sit in this chair, but I'm not going to think. How many times do you do that with God? Well, I'm going to sit in this chair, but I'm not going to think. I mean, I, you can change me on the outside. You can't change me on the inside. You can make me conform on the outside, but I'm not going to conform on the inside. We all have a little 
bit of Rachel in us. We might conform, but on the inside, there's this rebellion, this rebellious spirit. Now, the answer to the question, who's in charge, at the very core, at the very center of that question, and I think all of us would agree, the answer to that question is me. Okay, And even if I, I don't think I'm always in charge, I want to be. The answer to that question for me is me. Now, we come to our text this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter here is describing, and by the way, Peter was one of those guys. He was the, one of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, he was uh, the one who had a me problem often. Uh, he wanted to do things his way. And Jesus was constantly saying, no, that's not the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way. So he had this kind of me problem, this who's in control problem. And Peter wrote these words that we're going to read in just a moment from First Peter in the first century. And in the context that Peter was writing, um, uh, Nero was in control. And he was probably one of the most evil emperors in the history of the world. And so Peter's writing these words to the church, and it was writing to the, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the ecclesia. Ecclesia are small groups of Christ followers, of disciples that met in different parts of each city. And these ecclesias, or what we now call churches, uh, their purpose was not to be a building or to be an institution. Their purpose was always to be a movement. The ecclesia... New Testament Ecclesia, the New Testament church, was never intended to be an institution. It was intended always to be a movement. In other words, we come here on Sunday mornings and we get fed uh, spiritually, then we eat chili, and then we're prepared to go out into the world and do the work of the ministry. That's what. So the church is not the end. The end is to prepare you to go out in the world to be light and salt and to love people into the kingdom. So these ecclesias scattered all over were being threatened and persecuted by Nero and all of Nero's minions. And it was a terrible time in the history of our world. And uh, this is the context in which Peter is now talking to these scattered believers. And he's talking to us today. So this is where we come to first Peter chapter two. And I'm reading verses 13 through 17. This is very appropriate Very apropos for coming up on our uh, elections in just a couple of weeks. Here's what Peter said to the ecclesias in the first century. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Now, at this point, if I'm part of one of those ecclesias in the first century and I get my hand on this piece of parchment from Peter, who's kind of the known leader of the church at the time, and I start reading these words and I say to myself, Peter, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You want me to submit to the authority of Nero? You want me to submit to the authority of the Romans? These people are corrupt. These people are out to kill us. They're out to get us. And Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God, show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers. That's our last series on what is a Christian. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Peter, what are you thinking? I mean, isn't this prime time for rebellion? 
Isn't this prime time to go against Nero, go against the structure, go against Rome? Peter says, I want you to submit to their authority. Now, I, I grew up in high school and college. Um, high school was from 62 to 66. College was from 66 to 70. I uh, just missed the Vietnam War because of the lottery. But I grew up in a time in the 60s where everything was anti. I mean, we love that word anti. Anti-establishment. We don't want to listen to authority. Anti-authority. Death to the man. I mean, that was the time in history that was my kind of my formative years, my teenage years and early adult. A defiance was everywhere. Anti-Vietnam. Anti-Nixon. Anti-everything. In fact, we, now when I say we, I was kind of a cloistered, sequestered college student. I didn't pay much attention to all of this, but all of my generation, pretty much all around me, were all about peace, free love, which we found out later was very expensive. Uh, Anyway, free love and do your own thing was the mandates of my generation. Now, in all of the pulpits, especially the Protestant churches all over the country, the preachers were pounding away at this idea. You're supposed to respect your authority. You're supposed to respect your government. You're supposed to. But my generation basically ignored all of that. Now, this text from Peter is God's answer to the anti-authority of past generations as well as today's generation. How do we respond? How do you respond to the circles of authority in your life? How do you submit to those who are in authority in your life? Now, there's different levels of authority, different circles of authority in the home, in work, at church, in our city, in our state, in our government, in the world. These different circles of of authority. How do you respond to those different authorities? Peter addresses the fact that we live in two worlds. We live in the kingdom of man, which is the civil and governmental authority that is all around us. But we also live in the kingdom of God. And what Peter is saying here is that there's this tension between these two kingdoms. And sometimes these two kingdoms overlap. And when they overlap, how are we supposed to live as Christ followers, as disciples, not as Christians, but as Christ followers, as disciples, how are we supposed to live in those two kingdoms at the same time? Now, probably the best example of this two kingdom living was a a bishop, a, a Catholic bishop in the fifth century in a place called Hippo in Africa. His name was what? Augustine, okay? Augustine or Augustine. And his classic work, The City of God, was written in the 6th century. Now, I want you to note the timing. Because we spent eight weeks on a series, What is a Christian? And one of the things we discovered was that um, up to the 3rd century, the church had no leverage whatsoever. Uh, The church had no political leverage. It had no financial leverage. It had no leverage in the world. And yet the church for those first 300 years changed the world. Because they brought the gospel of Jesus Christ and they delivered it how? With love. They had one delivery system and one delivery system only. It was love. The gospel of Jesus Christ was proclaimed and people were loving each other. They were loving their enemies. They were loving the world around them. And people were looking at it. I said, what is going on? This is amazing. I don't know what these people are all about, but I want to live like them. I want to be like them. So that happened up to the third century. Then something happened. Under Constantine, the, the church and the government got in bed with each other. And that was really bad. 
I mean, our country was founded on the fact that you're supposed to keep the church and the state separated. We don't do a very good job of that. We're still kind of fighting all of that stuff. But we're supposed to keep those two separate because Augustine understood completely that there are two different worlds, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And he used to use two big circles and that they would intersect in a certain uh, arc and there would be this area that believers are living in. And how do we live in that? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. The text talks about this, this how we are supposed to live in this balance. And so uh, Augustine comes along and he says, now, don't ever believe that the advancement of the kingdom uh, is going to take place for the most part in the kingdom of man. Now, the kingdom of God is around us. The kingdom of God, as you remember the definition, kingdom of God is Christ in me, the hope of glory. The kingship of God, the kingship of Jesus in my life, that's the kingdom of God. And then the kingdom of God is the gathered followers of Christ together, the individuals who are Christ followers. That is the kingdom of God. It is not only a place here on earth now, but is a place that we are going to be in for all eternity. The kingdom of God is that spiritual realm that we are living in now, and one day we will live in for eternity. The kingdom of man is the nuts and bolts, the earth, wind, and fire. Uh, it's the way we do family. It's the way we go to school, the way we eat our food, the way we have uh, relationships. All That's the kingdom of man. And those two kingdoms intersect for many of us as believers. And so Augustine said, don't believe for a moment that this kingdom of man is supposed to look like the kingdom of God. It's not going to. Remember, we talked about several weeks ago that we're supposed to, in a loving, godly way, judge each other as believers. But one thing we're not supposed to do is judge the world outside us. We're not supposed to say, you guys need to conform to us. You guys need to behave like us. You guys need to do what we do because we know better. See, that's what we're not supposed to do. The Bible's very clear about that. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to love them out there and, if need be, judge each other in here. That's a whole different kind of uh, paradigm than what you normally hear at church. But that's what the Bible says. So here we have this... The state and this, gover- this government and this religion getting all messed up together. Uh, Augustine comes along 200 years later and says, this isn't working. We've got to get these separate. Don't think for a moment that the kingdom of man is going to be the kingdom of God. It's not the way it works. Don't place too much stock in the power of the state or the government to make a godly world, because that's not their job. The kingdom of man is not the religious institution. The kingdom of man is not to fulfill the purposes of religion. Be careful to ask the government to do only, don't ask the government to do what only the body of Christ can do, what only Christ followers can do, what only Christians can do. Jesus put it this way, my kingdom is not of this world. Very simple. My kingdom is not of this world. So here we are as aliens and foreigners in this strange land, members of the kingdom of God because Christ is in us, and we're living in this kingdom of the world, kingdom of man. How do we do that? How do we live in those two worlds? The kingdom of God is, is, is love. The gospel is to live, love, and die for Jesus in a way that the world will look at us and say, I want part of that. That's the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of man is the nuts and bolts, the everyday living, the things that we do, the disease, the death, all of those things that are part of this world. That's the kingdom of God. How do we live in this world as kingdom followers? The question Peter answers in First Peter, he said, first of all, and you're not going to like this, Peter said to them and to his audience today, you're not going to like this. First of all, submit to earthly rulers. Now, that's counterintuitive to everything that you would think Peter would say. 
you would think he would say, be, re- be rebellious. Uh, go against uh, what the government says. You know, do the opposite. All of that. Peter says, submit to earthly rulers. Why? Well, without earthly rulers, even if they're not godly, even if they're corrupt, without earthly rulers, there is chaos and there is anarchy. We know this. You know this instinctively. Even if the government isn't perfect, even if it's not right on, even if it's communist or socialistic or anything else, somehow, some way, that's still better than absolute anarchy. I mean, just look at the way the United States comes in and we help some group throw out a dictator, right? So who comes in next? Another dictator. And for a while, that works out pretty well. And then we throw them out, and this is kind of on and on and on. But we, there's always going to be this emptiness to fill. And that is filled by governmental people, governmental rulers, governmental uh, presidents and kings and potentates. All of that. So without that is chaos. Now, a classic book, 1954, William Golding. You know the, the work. You read it in school. Uh, the Lord of the Flies. And in this book, he, uh, Golding kind of indicates how that if you don't have any kind of hierarchy of rulership or leadership or there's no governmental association, nobody's in charge, right? If you don't have that, everything turns to chaos and destruction. We need that in every part of society. We have to have that. And that's what Peter is saying here. So here it is. It's like Jesus is standing behind the government. That doesn't mean he's in favor of the government particular government, but he's standing behind them because his authority ultimately is what we belong to. And he is saying, as one who you are in authority to Jesus, as one like that, you have to be in authority to that who is in front of me, which is the government. But I know, I know exactly what, what some of you are thinking, because I think it myself. I mean, even Pilate had the civil authority that allowed God to stand behind him. God stands behind this ultimate authority. Rulers. In our case, it's submitting to uh, uh, our president. It's submitting to our state legislature and government, Jan Brewer. It's submitting even to a certain level to Sheriff Joe. And without all of this, whether you agree with them or you don't, doesn't matter. Without all of that, there's anarchy. So we're going to go and vote in a couple of weeks. And regardless of who you vote, to, vote for, God is going to be standing behind that person. That doesn't mean he agrees with everything the person does. But God says, you know what? As long as I'm your authority... Believers, followers of Christ, then you need to obey the authority that I put in place here on this earth. So, I, and, and when you get into this, you start doing the yabbits. You know, the Y-A-W-B-U-T-Z. Okay, the yabbits. But, I, yeah, but I don't want to, right? There's leaders that I don't trust. The laws I don't like. The taxes I don't want to pay. Peter says, submit anyway. Now, the word submit is a military term that means literally get in line. I mean, if the military didn't have any way to keep their troops in line and organized and trained, they would be absolutely worthless. The difference between a mob and an army is remarkable. There has to be order. There has to be authority. And uh, Peter says, submit to the rulers uh, in charge of you. So God institutes these earthly governments to promote justice, morality, peace, to punish evil, to promote good, all of that, of course. But civil governments, as you all know, fail in, 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 in this God-given role. They fail over and over again. So there are limits to the submission. We'll talk about those in a minute. But, but consider for a moment what, again, Peter was going through. 
Um, in his day, the Christians were being persecuted by Nero. Everything was wrong. Everything was bad. And uh, no one knew what to do. And, uh, and they, they would say, Peter, what's going on? They would ask Paul the same question. What's going on? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to hide in caves? Are we supposed to overturn the government? Are we supposed to you know, uh, rebel against them and, and create anarchy so that we can establish the kingdom of God? And, uh, and Peter said, no, that's not what I want you to do. In fact, it was so bad. In, in Peter's day, it was so bad in Peter's day that uh, Nero, A.D. 64, burned down Rome and then tried to find someone to blame. And here's uh, the account of that from one of the uh, ancient Greek uh, uh, historians, uh, Sulpicius Severus. Here's what he said. Nero could not by any means, he tried, escape from the charge that he had been caused by the fire, that the fire had been caused by his orders. He therefore turned the accusation against the Christians. Remember, it was, Nero was the first one who called this group of Christ followers Christians. And the most cruel tortures were accordingly afflicted upon the innocent. Nay, even new kinds of deaths were invented, so that being covered in the skins of wild beasts, they perished by being devoured by dogs, while many were crucified or slain by fire. And not a few were set apart for this purpose, that when the day came to a close, they should be consumed to they should be consumed to serve for light during the night. Now, that was just one of the uh, accounts of what happened. So in this context, Peter and Paul and others, well, you know, what's going on? What should we do? He says, listen, listen, I know it's bad. I know it's not good, but you need to submit to your earthly rulers. But there is a modifier, and this is what you've been waiting for. The second thing is this, for the Lord's sake. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority, and he stands behind the authority in our world. A teacher frustrates you. Well, that happens to all of us. A boss who is a doofus. That's, you know, in the original Greek doofus, you know, uh, there's there's limits to Christian submission. And, and you can think of many of them, but there's really not as many as you think. There's limits to this Christian submission. One of the uh, one of the ones that would have been spectacular would, would have been during World War Two and with the Nazi regime. With what they were doing with not only uh, the Jews, six million Jews were exterminated, but other groups, blacks, uh, gypsies and other groups were uh, similarly uh, destroyed uh, as much as the German uh, Third Reich could do it. And and, and it, no one stood up. Well, very few stood up. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer kind of stood up towards the end when he was imprisoned and 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 wrote some things and and a few others. But even in the United States, people are going, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know. You know, it's like we don't want to be part of this thing. You know, there are times when we should stand up and say, no, that's not going to happen. That's one example. Another example is in Scripture with Peter. Uh, Peter was told he was forbade to teach about Jesus in the book of Acts, Acts chapter five. He, he, He was told you can't preach about Jesus. Well, he disobeyed the law over and over and over again. He said, we must obey God rather than man. Now, notice Peter uh, or anyone else that has obeyed, uh, disobeyed the law in the right way, never did it for their own sake. It was always for the Lord's sake. It was always for the purpose of allowing the Lord to do his work in the world. Uh, God was not behind the extermination of Jews. That was evil man that did that. Somebody should have stood up and said no a lot sooner than they did, but no one really did. 
Something about when we when we recognize that the Lord wants us to make a decision that will honor him, will glorify him, will not save me or honor me or glorify me, but save. That's when we're to act. Uh, Another example in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego Um, uh, in the book of Daniel, King uh, Darius uh, forbade them from praying. You know, that's kind of funny to forbid from praying because they're not supposed to be like public prayers in high schools, in schools these days. But every time there's a test on the campus, you know, there's thousands of prayers going up, you know. So it may not be public, but it's real, you know. So but the, Darius, the king, said to Shadrach, Meshach, you can't pray. And they said, we're going to pray. You can't stop us from praying. We're going to pray. So when we're required to do something that is wrong or forbid us to do something that is right for the Lord's sake and not our sake, that is when we're able to, that's one of the exclusions to this law, for the Lord's sake, for his ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose is not to make you comfortable. His ultimate purpose is not to make you happy or satisfied. His ultimate purpose is to redeem the lost. To love the world in such a way that they will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Christ's ultimate purpose is always the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of man. We get so tied down to the kingdom of man. We get so attracted to this rock. We get so uh, involved in its work that we forget that we are members of the kingdom of God. Every decision that was made was made with Jesus' purpose in mind to redeem the world by love. See, if we go and get caught up in the civil law and politics, and I'm not saying you shouldn't get involved in politics or civil law, but remember, politics, civil law, all of that is the little kingdom. It's the kingdom of man. You're not going to change the world through politics. You're not going to change the world through the little kingdom. Nothing wrong with it. Do your best. Do what you can as a Christ follower. Absolutely be involved. Whatever your conscience tells you, however you do. But that is the little kingdom. We lose perspective because the big kingdom is the redemptive purpose of God in the world. And that is to bring one more person to Jesus Christ. Not one more person into your political party. Not one more person into your way of thinking. To bring one more person to Jesus Christ. That is the big kingdom. And that is what God has called us to. So uh, a, a few months ago, actually it was about a year ago, uh, Sherry and I were driving over to San Diego. And like most of you do uh, when you drive over to San Diego, uh, you go down to Maricopa and then you turn right. And I don't know what that, that highway number is, but it's called the Dead Cow Highway. What's that number? Yeah, 238. That's it. So uh, Dead Cow, 40 miles of pretty much straight string road uh, with a few dead cows along the way. And there's a, a section where it goes like this, so it's fun to go like 80 miles an hour. I didn't say that, did I? I just did said it out loud, didn't I? And, and, so, and there's a straight, 40 miles of that, and it's posted 55 miles an hour, which I, I basically, I, I take that as a suggestion, not as a law. And uh, so, uh, so I, Sherry and I are going over there, and, and we're doing our devotion. Sherry's reading the Bible. We're doing big kingdom stuff. But I'm still driving in the little kingdom. And I'm driving too fast. And there's nobody out there. And I, believe it or not, somehow, someway from behind, this cop caught, caught up to me. He must have been really booking. And he caught up to me. And, you know, the light and the pullover. And the, oh, no, I don't want to pay, you know, or especially don't want to go to all day Saturday to one of those classes. And I pull over. And the policeman comes up to our car. Uh, good day. How are you doing? Well, we're doing fine. And I said, officer, I am so sorry. I, uh, I, I just wasn't paying attention. I, you know, I could have given him all the reasons why it was okay. It's safe. 
It's a clear day. There's nobody out here. Leave me alone. Go pick on a drug dealer. You know, I can, and then you guys all think that too, and some of you actually do it. And you, and you argue with them. You know, that's little kingdom argument. Okay, the little kingdom says, obey the law. Obey the law, Dwayne. So I just said, officer, I am so sorry. It was my bad. I wasn't paying attention. I don't know how fast I was going, but it was fast. And uh, I'm sorry. And then Sherry pipes in. She says, we were reading our Bible. Yeah. <laughs> See, she's trying to get the big kingdom involved in the little kingdom. And, of course, he said, well, you should read your DMV booklet instead. Yeah, okay. So, so Sherry says, you know, she kind of like, so, so we start talking and he says, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, well, Miss Cross, I really appreciate your attitude. I'm going to drop this down to the lowest uh, ticket. And, um, and where's your church, by the way? I said, it's over in, uh, in South Chandler and I described it. And so because I paid heed to the little kingdom, I was wrong. I broke the law. I had a right. I mean, I needed to get a ticket, right? So do you. Even every time you probably drive, you do. And, 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 and I, I just confessed. And I, uh, he was the authority. And he was right. And I put myself in submission to him. And because of that, there was something about, about the way Sherry and I kind of talked and organized our lives and, and res- respected him that made him curious about the big kingdom. In fact, he, even though he lives in Maricopa, he visited our church one Sunday just to see what it was all about. Really neat. Sometimes we lose perspective on the big kingdom by getting too bound to the little kingdom. Too bound to the kingdom of man. That this is what matters. This rock is what matters. And we forget that the perspective that God wants us to have is that the big kingdom is what really matters for the Lord's sake. And then there's one other thing. Uh, that we find in the text, and it's this. Submission brings freedom. Submission brings freedom. Uh, I had a, a wonderful conversation uh, recently uh, with a, a young woman in our church. Uh, she and her family are new to our church maybe the last six, eight weeks, been coming regularly. And, um, and, we ta- and, and she's, she runs a company, and she also takes care of all of her children in the home and her marriage. And she's involved in all of these things. But, and she told me way back when she sent me an email, she said, you know, but I, I, uh, I, I don't feel like I really have a place in my heart for, for God. And I want that. I, I, I want that kind of freedom that I see in other people uh, in your church. And, and we talked about that. And I thought it was so remarkable that someone recognizes that when you actually submit yourself to God, that brings freedom. Now, some people would say, well, that's just another to-do list. Man, I'm running a company and take care of my family, church and being involved in church and, and maybe being involved in a Bible study. Those things, that's like adding on. But here's, here's what we've talked about so often. God doesn't want to, um, uh, you know, take something from you. He wants to give you something. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you joy in the Lord. And you can't find that in the kingdom of man all the time. Find it once in a while. But in the kingdom of God, in the big kingdom, you have that relationship with God, that relationship with others. You have that burning soul desire to reach one more person for Jesus Christ because without Jesus, they're lost. And you have all of these things that really matter and it fulfills your life and it makes your life great and it is remarkable. The bottom line is we choose to submit to Christ. That's the big submit. That's the big kingdom. We choose to submit to Christ. And when we choose to submit to Christ, we're choosing also to submit when it's appropriate in the little kingdom. 
the kingdom of man. Martin Luther put it this way. A Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is perfectly dutiful, servant of all, subject to all. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's a beautiful statement. See, when I see people in our community that are either turned off to the church, that might be some of you here today, you've been turned off to the church in the past, or they just have given up on God, given up on the church. And when I see people like that, it makes me realize what my purpose on this planet is. And it's not to have the best experience I can possibly have on this rock. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to do everything in my power, everything in my power, to help one more person come to know Jesus Christ. Submission is about living large. It's about living for the big kingdom, for the kingdom of God, living for Jesus, and doing that in a very small world, in a very broken world. Submit to earthly rulers. Why? For the Lord's sake, which leads to freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to live a big life, a life that matters, a life that loves. In those first three centuries, those Christ followers, they would live and they would love and they would die like nobody else because they had one purpose, one focus, and that was to live in the kingdom of God and to do everything in their power to reach one more person with the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Freedom. Freedom to live. Freedom to live today. And so we look at that one last verse, verse 17, that says this. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. And I go, up comes the yes buts and the yeah buts and all of that. But some people are not honorable. Honor them anyway. Some people are not lovable. Love them anyway. There's no escape clause here. Peter doesn't give us that. Submission is a matter of the heart, and we are to submit ourselves to the big kingdom, to Jesus Christ, so therefore we can easily and with good conscience uh, submit to the authority of the little kingdom. Sometimes we get mixed up in uh, our marriage, and we think that marriage is a kind of a 50-50 compromise. It's not. Marriage in Scripture is always one thing. It's giving 100% and the other one giving 100%. No such thing as 50-50. And this idea that, um, that a wife would say, well, I will, I will respect my husband. This is out of Ephesians 5. I'll respect my husband if he loves me. And the husband says, well, I'll, I'll love you if you respect me. And then so you go, you know, you're going like this, you know. And that doesn't help anybody. When a woman, and I've seen this time and time again, even in our church, when a woman says, I'm going to respect and love my husband unconditionally, even if I don't get anything in return. Everything in the marriage changes. I know it's not fair. Well, it's not fair that God loves you completely and unconditionally either. But when someone does that, it changes the dynamic of the relationship every single time. That's what God is calling us to do. Submission to him in the big kingdom. So when we come to submitting in the small kingdom, it's really easy to do. One thing I'd like to share as I close this morning. This big kingdom, little kingdom. You're going to the polls pretty soon. To vote. And you need to remember that our hopes do not lie in who's the next president or our ability to bring peace on earth. We've already shown for thousands of years that we can't do that. But our life 
depends on Jesus Christ and him crucified in whom the Bible says we live and breathe and have our being. So there's this wonderful book. How many of you are familiar with uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters? Okay, it's a great, great book. If you've not read it, I would commend it. So Screwtape Letters is about this um, higher, high level demon by the name of Screwtape. And he's giving advice to all of his underlings, all of the minions, all of the minor demons. And he's giving and in this case, he's giving them advice about politics and advice, advice about, uh, you know, following uh, the, the authorities of our world. And uh, so he's now so when he's speaking, this is Screwtape speaking, and he's speaking about how we can get believers, Christ followers to get off the track of Christ's kingdom. So how can we get Christ followers to kind of forget the kingdom of God and get fully entrenched in the kingdom of man? That's his point, And that's what he says. Listen, listen to this. Let him begin. This is the, talking about the believer. Let the believer begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Now, we could change the language. Uh, this was written before World War II or during World War II. And he's talking about the two groups that are really getting the patriots and the pacifists. And they're all up in arms and they're angry at each other and they're this and that. And you could do the same thing with the Republican and Democratic parties today. There's all everybody's angry at everybody. He said, let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Now, this is screw tape talking to one of the minions. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely a part of the cause. This is when now our religion, uh, our, the kingdom of God comes subservient to the kingdom of man. Now what really matters is who gets into office. Now what really matters is how much money I make. Now what really matters is what kind of a car I drive. That's when you get in trouble as a believer. That's what he's saying here. They quietly and gradually nurse him on the stage at which religion becomes merely a part of the cause in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or of pacifism. The attitude which you want to guard against is that in which the temporal affairs, kingdom of man, are treated primarily as material for obedience, kingdom of God. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means you have almost won your man. <laughs> Screw tapes. You've just about got him. As soon as the, the, the world is the end, and this is what matters, and the kingdom of God, yeah, it's kind of out there someday, in the sweet by and by, but it's, uh, this is what I want, right? As soon as you do that, Screwtape says, then you've almost got your man. Let me pick up where I said there. Yeah. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he's pursuing. It doesn't really matter which direction, which side he's on. Provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity. He is ours. And the more religious, the more securely ours. I could show you a pretty cageful down here. Your affectionate Uncle Screwtape. Isn't that powerful? What a description between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Don't let the kingdom of man trump who you are. Be involved, be a good citizen, obey the laws, do what you can, but don't forget why you're on this earth to reach one more person for Jesus Christ, to make sure that your life is a light and salt and you are loving people in such a way that they peer over the edge and say, I want that. 
They're not going to peer over and say, I want to be a Republican or I want to be a Democrat. I want that. I want Jesus. That's what I want. That's the big kingdom. And that's where we're called to be. Small kingdom, self, what I want. This is the way Augustine said it in, um, in his book, Foundations of Christian Faith. Augustine said this, Two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. Small kingdom, what I want. Big kingdom, Christ and all that he represents. Oswald Chambers, in his great book, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, said, said it this way. He said, be absolutely his. Be absolutely his. Be absolutely his at home. Not yours, but his. Be absolutely his at church. Not yours, but his. Be absolutely his on the job. Not yours, but his. Be absolutely his in politics. Not yours, but his. Be absolutely his in the classroom. Not yours, but his. Be absolutely his in every relationship. Not yours, but his. Peter said it this way in verse 21 of our text. Follow in his steps. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thank you so much for your provision. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful way that you give us truth in your word. And Father, we do want to be good citizens. We want to do the right thing. We want to obey the laws. We want to be good citizens. We want to vote. We want to be involved. But help us to never forget that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we have a responsibility. We have a privilege. And that privilege is to be a light, to be salt, to be love in the world, to where people say, that's what I want for my life. And Father, I pray that every person in this room would take on this as their mantle of faith, that we will be like him and follow in his steps. And to that end, Father, we pray your blessing on our people and on our lives as we go forth to serve the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.